Well, good morning. I'm so glad you guys are all here with us this morning, and uh, we're closing out our series, When the Light Comes On. And throughout this series, what we've been looking at is, how is it that adults who become believers, who become followers of Jesus Christ, how, do, how, is, how does that happen? And we've talked about how a lot of times our approach as believers is to want to try to answer every question, every objection that someone might have, because a lot of times, if you're not a believer as an adult, there's a reason. There's, there's a reason why you, you've chosen not to place your trust in Jesus Christ. And most of the time it's because we have some sort of question or some objection that's, that's standing in the way. And what we've, what we've seen throughout this series is that a lot of times what happens is that um, those questions don't go away. They just shrink in comparison to the reality of the relationship that God desires for us to have with him through his son Jesus Christ. And we, we've said that, you know, it's, it's, uh, you don't have to understand everything to believe in something. And we've, we've addressed all sorts of, of questions and, and how we can even have these big questions, yet God desire, God's desire is for us to bring those questions to him. And we can come to him as an insider instead of an outsider and ask those questions. That the relationship with Jesus Christ is not about having our questions answered, but it's about engaging in that relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And, you know, some, some of the questions that people have are pretty serious. You know, people want to know. Uh, you know, I've been asked before, if God really exists, why was I abused as a child? Why is there pain and suffering? And these are, these are big questions. Um, but then sometimes you get to the, the silly questions, like were there dinosaurs on the ark? Or, you know, with all those animals on the ark, who... who cleaned up all the poop, you know, and, and these questions are really more like smoke screens than real questions that people have, and, and what we're going to see this morning is that uh, when the light comes on, there's a flip that gets switched, and we have to be careful not to allow our questions, our objections to flip that switch back off, right? We've all been there before, we've all done it, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, but as we talk about different levels of questions, uh, I love questions from kids, and I, uh, for Mother's Day, I thought I would read a couple questions that kids have asked God in writing letters to God, and they go from the serious to the silly, and you'll see that some, even in the same question, starts out serious or maybe starts out silly and then gets serious, but the first one is this, do you listen to my prayers every night? Do you really know when I only pretend to brush my teeth? If so, don't tell mom, okay? In Sunday school, we learn that you are everywhere. How big are you? As big as Shaq, he plays basketball. He's the biggest I've ever seen. Why do old people smell funny? <laughs> Maybe this one answers that. Instead of letting old people die and making new ones, why don't you just keep the ones you have now? Can God make a rock so big that he can't pick it up? Were there dinosaurs on the ark? I have scary dreams at night. Mommy says I can't come in with them anymore because I'm too big for that. Where do scary dreams come from? Or should I ask the devil that one? And my Sunday school teacher says that you always love me. Is that true? Even after what I did to Sarah yesterday? Or do you know about that? I'm really sorry. I wish you'd love me still. My mommy is sad a lot since daddy went away. We can't find him. Can you? My grandma's dying. She says she wants to be back with you. But I want her to stay with me. You can have anyone you want. She's all I have. Please let her get better. 
you can see even from the, chi- the, the mind and the heart of a child, there are questions that come up about God. And God is not afraid of our questions. And our questions range from the serious to the silly. But really what we're going to see this morning is that uh, in Luke chapter 12, we see someone who comes with just really a silly question and really Jesus takes the time and he gets behind the question. Because a lot of times these questions that we have are nothing more than smoke screens. Because if we're really honest with ourselves, if God were really able to answer all of our questions, would that really change anything? If you're here this morning or you're listening online and you're not a believer and you had that one question and God answered it, would you really surrender to him? If you're here and you're a believer and you still have those doubts or those questions uh, for God, that you're holding some area of your life back, if he were to answer it, would you really then just say, you know what, I surrender everything, I'm going to fully obey? Or are those just smoke screens? Like we saw last week, do you believe what you want to believe so you can do what you want to do? And this is what we see in Luke chapter 12. If you would open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13, is where we're going to start. But a little bit of background to this is that Jesus has been teaching for some time, and he's been performing some miracles. He's in the middle of his ministry, and he begins to gather a crowd. And as he's gathering the crowd, he's talking about some real serious stuff. He's talking about some uh, extremely important things. And people in the crowd say, hey, give us a sign that you're the Messiah and we'll believe. This is after he's already healed the blind, he's healed the lame, he's done all those things, and they're saying, give us a sign and we'll believe. And he says, you wicked generation. It's a wicked generation that asks for a sign. He says, you want a sign? I'll give you a sign. You want more than just the healing stuff that you've seen that only God could do? I'll give you a sign. Here's your sign. There's one among you that's wiser than Solomon, and that's me. Wiser than the wisest king that ever lived. And here's your sign. Listen to my teaching. See if it doesn't carry the the wisdom of God in it. Match it up with scripture. There's your sign. You want another sign? There's one here that's more powerful than Jonah. No, not, not just that I'll be raised from the dead in three days, but do you remember how Jonah went to the city of Nineveh and he proclaimed the message that God gave him and the entire city repented and turned towards God? There's one here whose words are even more powerful than Jonah's because he's not just speaking for God, he is God. And by the way, it's me. There's your sign. You want a sign? Those are your signs. And so he's talking about some real serious stuff here. And then he turns his attention to the Pharisees and he says, woe to you Pharisees. Now, I don't know if you've you've ever noticed this, but anytime in scripture that Jesus says, woe to you, it's not a good thing. You do not want Jesus to say, woe to you, unless you're a horse and then it's probably okay. But these Pharisees are not a horse. A lot of people think maybe they're the other end of the horse. But uh, the Pharisees are, uh, Jesus says, woe to you. And here's why, because the Pharisees made such a big deal out of all these little bitty laws, yet they neglected the big things that God desires for each and every one of us. They made such a big deal out of tithe that if they had a a spice garden, you know, like some of you on your windowsill in your kitchen, you have a little bit of spices there. You can pick them and and you can grow herbs right there in your garden, uh, right there in your kitchen. Well, they would tithe even on the spices from their little bitty herb gardens. Right? That's how serious they took the law. And Jesus says, look, woe to you because you pay attention to all this little stuff, but you're neglecting the big stuff, like love and mercy and justice. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love being the guy. 
you love being the guy, the one who has all the answers, the one who's always right. Man, as I was reading through this this week, and as I studied this passage and, and started thinking about Pharisees, can I just be honest with you that this hit me right between the eyes? That as I read this, God, almost audibly, I could hear him say, that's you. That's you. You always have to be right. You always have to win. You always have to be the guy with the answer. What about love and justice and mercy? What about shepherding people along rather than just saying, here's where you're wrong, here's where God is right? What about bringing them along in the love and mercy and justice of God? I don't know if that speaks to you, but I know for me, it was like pulling a dagger out of my heart. So he says, woe to you Pharisees. And at this time, he starts gathering a crowd of thousands because you know what? The, the people of this day, they didn't really like the Pharisees that much either. And Jesus goes on and he says, woe to you because you think you're helping people get to God, but really you're blocking people from God. Not only are you not helping people get to God, you yourselves don't even know him. You're so confused because you think your good works, your good deeds, your giving, you think all of that stuff makes you right with God, but you're wrong. You don't even know him. And not only are you not helping people get to God, you're blocking the way. And again, it has hit me in the heart. Am I blocking the way because of my need, my desire to be right? God doesn't need me to defend him. So this crowd begins to gather, and Jesus continues teaching on some very serious stuff. And he, sa- he says, look, stop weighing people down with these, these burdens. And he goes on in Luke chapter 12, verse 2, he says this. He says, be on your guard against the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. There is nothing concealed that will not be revealed. Right? As I was writing this this week, uh, my kids love the movie Frozen. I'm sure if you've got a kid, like, birth to 18, they've probably seen the movie a hundred times. Conceal, don't feel, right? And so I was thinking about that, and I said, everything concealed will be revealed. And what Jesus is saying is that the intentions of the heart will one day be laid before everyone. It's laid before God. He knows it. And so your questions that you have, Jesus says, I can see behind your questions to the heart, what's really there. The things that you think are happening in secret that nobody knows about, God is there. He sees them. He saw when Sarah got pushed, right? When that thing that the little kid did to Sarah yesterday, God was there and he saw that. Everything that's concealed will one day be revealed. There's nothing hidden that won't come to light. And he goes on in, in verses 4 and 5 and he says, Look, I'm telling you, don't be afraid of people who only kill the body. He's talking about the Pharisees and religious leaders because if you broke certain laws, they would take you out and stone you. If you blasphemed, they would make sure that you got the death penalty. And he says, don't be afraid of people that can only kill the body. You want to know who you should fear? I'll tell you who to fear. You fear the one who can, after he's killed the body, throw you into hell. That's the one who you should fear. And by the way, that's me, Jesus, because I'm God. And then he goes on and he says, this in, in verses 8 and 9, he says, If you acknowledge the Son of Man before man, then the Son of Man will acknowledge you before the angels in heaven. And Jesus is talking about some real serious stuff. This is issues of life and death, not just life in the here and now, but eternal life and death. And that brings us to verse 13. This is the question that Jesus gets. Teacher, 
Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. That's your question? Life and death. You acknowledge me before man, I'll acknowledge you before the Father. Don't be afraid of the one who who can kill the body, but be afraid of the one who after the body is dead can cast you into hell. And this is your question? Tell my brother to share? Like, seriously, you get to ask Jesus one question, and your question is, can you tell my brother to share? Can you tell, like, that's seriously what you're going to go with? Like, not something bigger? And I love Jesus' response here in verse 14. He says, man, you got to imagine he said it just like that. Like, come on, man. If he was a teenager, he probably would have rolled his eyes and gone, ugh, right? Come on, man. This is your question. He says, man, who appointed me judge and arbiter between you? Jesus is saying, look, I'm a rabbi, I'm a teacher. And you come to me with a question like this? This isn't the kind of question you ask a rabbi. God already spoke to this in the Old Testament. There are laws that speak to how the inheritance is divided up. Here's probably what happened. This guy that's coming to Jesus is probably the younger brother. And so the older brother gets a double portion. And the younger brother gets a single portion. And the younger brother probably went out and blew all his money. He wasted it. It's gone. And now he wants something more from his brother. And he says, Jesus, tell my brother to be generous towards me. And Jesus is like, man, this, this is not the kind of question you ask the religious leaders. It's already taken care of. Go look it up for yourself. This is a smokescreen. There's something else going on here. And Jesus sees that, that the question reveals more about the, man's situa- uh, about the man's heart than it does his situation. This question reveals more about the heart than it does the situation. And Jesus goes on and says this. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Jesus knew that as long as both of these brothers remained greedy, there was no no answer that he could give would be satisfactory. So he decides he's going to look at the heart that's behind the question. He says, your question tells me more about your situation, and you missed it. There's something way, way, way bigger going on here, that you're focused on the little things of this life, and there's something bigger, issues of life and death, and you're missing it. Don't miss the forest for the trees. Let me ask you this again. If you got all your questions answered, what would that change? If you had all your questions answered, would you really bow down and worship God? Or are they simply smoke screens? Believers, if you had all your questions answered, if God would reveal to you every plan that he has for your life, would you really then say, you know what? I'm going to follow you perfectly. Man, the more time I spend as as a dad, the more I realize what God is really like. Because there are times when I ask my kids to obey because I have something good for them that I want them to do. I have, you know, I'll call them in and it's, I, w- I want to take them out to, to get frozen yogurt. And I'm telling them, hey, go put your shoes on. And they decide that they don't want to obey. But they don't know what they're missing out on. And I've come to realize that we do that with God all the time. That he calls us to something that he wants us to enjoy. He's got something good for us, a gift for us that he wants us to enjoy. And when we choose to disobey, we miss out. We miss it. Your questions are holding you back. Are your questions holding you back from your complete, unconditional obedience to God? Are they just simply smoke screens? 
Jesus continues on in verse 17, and he, he goes on to, to tell a parable which illustrates, the parable is a story that illustrates uh, Jesus' main point, and he's exposing his hearers to what he believes is, is really the main thing, right? So what we're going to see is that as God exposes the heart behind the question, the questions of the heart begin to shrink. Let me ask you, are you, are you allowing God to expose the heart behind your questions? Are you praying, God, I want to know you more than I want the answers to my questions? If you'll allow God to expose your heart, what's really in there, he'll show you that those questions aren't as big as you think they are and that what's really important is your relationship with him. This is what Jesus said. Verse 16, he says, The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. All right, this is the most enviable man in the world. God has blessed him so much, he's given him so much that he doesn't know what to do with. He goes on, the man says, then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. This guy has the best problem in the world. Like you couldn't ask for a better problem to have. You have so much stuff, you don't know where to put it. And we're not talking about like hoarders, right? This is good stuff. Like this isn't garage sale stuff that you're just holding on to. This is good stuff. This would be like if your bank called you and said, um, yeah, Charlie, we just want to let you know that we don't have any more room for your money. Uh, Our vault here in Georgetown is full. We filled the vault in Austin. We filled the one in Dallas, the one in Los Angeles, New York, and D.C. They're all full. We don't have any more room for your money. You're going to have to go and find another bank to keep your money in, right? That's the problem this guy has. That's a good problem to have. And in fact, the plan that he comes up with on the surface seems to be a good plan. It seems to be a wise and responsible plan. In fact, it it even seems to be a biblical plan. Proverbs 6 tells us this. It says, go to the ant, you sluggard, and be wise. It stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. What this man is doing on the surface seems to be a good thing. I mean, we, nobody would disagree that God wants us to plan for our future and be prepared for the future. This guy's just following biblical advice. He's following biblical principle, sort of. Let's keep going. He says that in verse 19, he says, I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. This comes right out of Ecclesiastes. Again, the words of Solomon. Solomon says this. He says, I commend the enjoyment of life to eat, drink, and be glad. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. So this guy is saying, look, God has blessed me with so much stuff, I'm going to enjoy it. Like, if you've been in church in any time, you're probably thinking, oh no, this guy is in for it. He's enjoying himself. God doesn't want us to enjoy ourselves, but Go back to Ecclesiastes. Solomon says, no, God's desire is for you to enjoy this life. To enjoy this life. But we have to remember that there's more than just this life. See, this man was planning for retirement, but he forgot to plan for what comes after retirement. He planned for uh, for the future, but he forgot to plan for the future, if you know what I mean. He's left God completely out of the picture. God has blessed him, and he fails to realize that that God has blessed him in order that he could be a blessing. 
That God had given him these things so that he could then, in turn, be rich towards God. And Jesus continues in verse 20. He says, God said to him, you fool. That's not very nice. God's not supposed to call people names. Now, in the Bible, a fool has nothing to do with your intelligence. It has nothing to do with how smart you are. A fool in Scripture is simply this. The fool in Scripture is someone who doesn't think God's ways apply to them. The fool is the person who says, I know what God's word says, but I'm going to do my own thing. The fool is the person who says in their heart, there is no God. This man is a fool because he's left God out of the picture. Let's keep going. It says, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This very night, your life will be demanded for you. There's more to life than what you can see right in front of you. There's more to life than what comes after your, your midlife. There's more to life than what comes after your retirement. There's the afterlife. And this man had not taken that into account in being rich towards God. He'd left God completely out of the picture. God says, you planned for you, but you didn't plan for me. You didn't make any plans for me. I'm writing a story here. Your life is the story, but you're not the main character. I am. Your life does not revolve around you. Your life revolves around me. I should be at the center of everything you do. And so this man, what he didn't realize is that partial obedience is disobedience. Right? We saw with Jonah that delayed obedience is disobedience. And man, if you're a parent, you know that partial obedience is disobedience. Like you can tell your kids, go to your room and clean it up. And you go in there 15 minutes later, and what are they doing? They're in there playing with their toys. Did they obey? Partially. Like they went to their room, but they didn't clean it up. Partial obedience is disobedience. God says, make plans for your future. Be wise in the way that you plan for your future. God says, enjoy the good things that I give you. But, and you can go back to Ecclesiastes, this is the whole point. Remember God in all of it. Remember your relationship with God is of the utmost importance. The last thing that we see in this is that life is not about what you possess, but who possesses your life. Life is not about what you possess, but who possesses your life. In verse 21, it says, Jesus says, This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. What's Jesus saying here? Life is not about what you possess, but who possesses your life. It's not about your material possessions. And it would be easy for us to focus on that, and and we'll talk a little bit more about that. We've already talked about that at length through the generosity series, that God's desire is that we would be generous towards him. It's not about what we possess materially. It's not even about what we possess spiritually. There are some of you here today who could quote more scripture than the rest of us combined. But let me ask you, what are you doing with it? When's the last time you shared the gospel? If you have a four-hour quiet time and you have prayer journals on on your bookshelf that are full from the last 10 years of prayers, 
and you've got this, this great quiet time and this devotional life, that's great. What are you doing with it? When's the last time you shared something you learned in a quiet time with your friend who doesn't know God? When's the last time you, you went and took care of a neighbor who was sick so that you could show them the love of Christ? It doesn't matter how much spiritual knowledge you possess. What are you doing with it? Are you being rich towards God with what you know? Or are you hoarding it for yourself because it makes you a better person? Because it makes you more moral? God does not want your morality. He wants your totality. God doesn't want you just to have the right answer. And this, gosh, I'm speaking to myself this week. God doesn't care about how much scripture I know if I don't put it into practice. Luke chapter 6, James, the whole book of James, is all about putting what we know into practice. Don't merely be hearers of the word and so deceive yourselves. Be doers of the word. I bet if I were to, to give you this verse, Matthew, 18, uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, you guys would all know that as the Great Commission. Many of you could probably quote it. When's the last time you shared the gospel? Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Let me ask you, when's the last time you shared the gospel? You know what it says. Don't be hearers of the word only, and deceive yourselves. Be doers of the word. Luke chapter 6, I will show you what he is like who hears my words. Anyone know what comes next? And puts them into practice. He's like the wise man who digs down deep and builds his foundation on the solid rock. That's the wise man. The other guy was the fool because he leaves God out of the picture. The other guy is the one who knows the word but doesn't do what it says. We want to be doers of the word. We want to be good stewards. We don't want to leave God out of the picture. Life is not about what you possess, but who possesses your life. Let me ask you, do your questions possess you? Are you letting your questions possess you? Keeping you from a relationship with God? Remember, everything that is concealed will one day be revealed. There's nothing that is hidden that won't be made known. God knows the intentions and the desires of your heart. If you'll hand those over to him, he will show you not only the answers to your question, but he'll, he'll shrink those questions to a point where you realize that they're not even that important. Because what's important is your relationship with him. I just want to conclu- close with this. and um, Something that John Rondeau mentioned in our elder board meeting. He said, you know, in my life what I've realized is that um, surrender comes first and the answer comes second. Like as, I, as I've lived my life, what I've realized that God shows me is that when I surrender to him first and I follow him, the answers of who, what, when, where, why, and how, those usually follow. And when they don't, I don't care. Like they don't matter anymore. Because what matters is that relationship. And so if you're here this morning and, and you are not a believer, you have not put your trust in Jesus Christ, I want to ask you, are your questions real questions or are they just smoke screens? Like, if God were really to answer your questions, what difference would it make? Are they just smoke screens? Will you be willing to pray, God, I want to know you more than I want to know the answers to my questions?
Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 verse 1 both say this. The fool says in his heart there is no God and his ways are vile. Now I don't know which one of those is the cause and which one is the effect. Is it because he says there's no God that his ways then are are vile? Like I don't believe that I'm going to give an account one day for what I do and so I'm going to live however I want. Or is it, man, I'm living this way and my ways are so bad that I'm afraid to acknowledge that, that there is a God. I don't know which way it is. But there's one question that we all have to ask ourselves, and there's, there's one thing that these verses should lead us to. Uh, it should lead us to a right response to God. We, we at some point have to respond. Here's the gospel, very simply. The gospel is this, that God loves you. He is perfect and holy, and he loves you, and he created you. God created man, and man chose to rebel against God. He chose his own way, and he sinned. But God loved us so much that he wasn't willing for us to stay that way. That he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. And the last part of that is that we have to choose to respond. There's a response. There's God, man, sin, Christ, response. We have to respond. If God is flipping that switch... If he's flipped that switch and the light is starting to come on and you're beginning to see that what's really important is your relationship with God, don't flip that switch off. Don't flip it back off. I can tell you I've been there before. Even as a believer, I've been there. God shows me something in my quiet time and I can't tell you how much I wanted to do it this week as he was revealing to me my pharisaical tendencies. Uh, I wanted to flip that switch off and say, oh, this must be for someone else. I wanted to flip that switch off and say, yeah, 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 but... I still like being right. I mean, who doesn't? I wanted to flip the switch off. There are times when when I hear a message or I I sing a verse in a song and I know that God is speaking directly to me and it's tempting to say, yeah, but I'm not going to do that. Believers, I want to encourage us. um, Man, in light of what Jesus is teaching here, are you happy with your current plans for your life? Are you happy with your current plans for your life? Or do you feel like there's maybe room for you to be a little bit more rich towards God? If you were to look at your schedule, would it reflect a richness towards God or a richness towards yourself? When's the last time you sacrificed time in order to honor God? If you were to look at your bank account, would it reflect that you're being rich towards God or would it reflect that you're being rich towards yourself? When's the last time you made a financial sacrifice to show richness towards God? I'm not talking about giving to the church. I'm not talking about, you know, dividing up everything we have equally. Just when's the last time you were rich towards God? With your testimony, with your quiet times, is that something that you're holding in for yourself? Or are you being rich towards God by sharing what you, what you know to be true with other people? Parents, let me ask you this. If we were to ask your kids what your top priority is, what would they say? Does that hit a little close to home? If we asked your kids, what do your mom and dad value? Would they say, well, me, of course. They take me to baseball practice six nights a week, and then we play games all day Saturday and all day Sunday and all day Monday. 
would they say, your job? What would they say? If you were to ask your kids what you value, what would they say? What's your priority? This is a question that came, came up to me at a pastor's gathering this last week, and, and I, wanna, I want us to keep this question on our minds constantly. If everyone in Georgetown, every believer in Georgetown lived the way I live, would we reach the city of Georgetown with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Be honest with yourself. If every believer in Georgetown lived the way I live, shared the gospel as often as I share the gospel, gave to God as generously as I give to God, gave of their time as generously as I give of their time, would we reach this city with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Would people get saved? That's a hard question to answer. I hope, I hope we'll spend some time praying through that this week. Where, where is our richness towards God? Something that I've, I've written down at the top of my schedule for this coming week, and, and I intend to keep it there, is will these activities make me rich towards myself or rich towards God? Everything that I do, I want to ask myself, is this making me rich towards myself or rich towards God? That's a big challenge.